are perfect, and all his ways are justice. So God not only, not only acts in a way that's right and just, he also defines what is right and just. And we see this revealed in his law. Isaiah 45.19 says, I speak the truth, I declare what is right. So we have a God that sets the standard, and he also acts upon that standard that he set. However, there are consequences with this. If God sets that standard, what happens if, if it's broken? He has to enforce this law that he's, that he's set. And the consequence for us is that all of us, from Adam all the way to each and every one of us, we have fallen short of God's glory. We've fallen short of his law. And the penalty for breaking that law is is severe. For the wages of sin is death, is what Romans 6.23 says. So those are the consequences of, of our actions in the face of a just God. But then we come to this issue that God in the scriptures is also the justifier of the wicked. Now a justifier is someone who declares people to be in right standing with the law and who says, you're not guilty. So God is both just punishing the wicked, but at the same time justifying or or saying the wicked are okay in his sight. So the question is, how can a holy God be just and and yet the justifier of the wicked? And again, we see this throughout the Old Testament where Abraham basically um, sinned when he basically lied to the king about the status of his wife to protect his own skin, and yet God declared him as righteous. We see this as Moses who killed someone but God used him to lead the Israelites out of captivity. Jacob was a known liar and deceiver, but God, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, came from Jacob. David, the mighty king of Israel, was a murderer and adulterer, yet God said he was a man after God's own heart. And even Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, when he met God, said, I'm a man of unclean lips but those lips also announce the coming of the Messiah. And we see this also in the book we're studying today in Jonah, where the evil, oppressive nation of of Nineveh um, should be judged by God, but was saved from destruction. So how do we resolve this issue of God being just and the justifier? It's only in Jesus Christ. That's the only way we allow those things to come together. And I think it's put so eloquently in Romans 3, where Paul writes, In Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is an atoning sacrifice, by his blood to be received in faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So let's turn to the book of Jonah. And I'm going to quickly step through this book by using a children's book that I read to my boys years ago. So basically the Lord said to Jonah, um, get up, go out of the city of Nineveh and speak out against it for its evil ways have offended me. But Jonah decided to flee from the Lord and he found a ship bound for Tarshish which is in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. But God created a mighty storm that threatened to break up the ship. So the sailors cast lots to find out who's responsible for this evil that had come upon them. And the lot fell among Jonah. And he confessed to them that he was fleeing from the Lord. And he told them to throw him into the sea. They didn't want to do that, but they they finally relented and threw him into the sea, and immediately a great calm came over the sea. And God arranged for a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And he prayed to the Lord, saying he was sorry for his disobedience, and he begged for mercy. So the fish vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to the city of Nineveh, and warn them of the doom, as I told you to do before. So Jonah traveled to Nineveh, a three-day journey. And Jonah preached to the city, In forty days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And the people of Nineveh heard this and repented. And they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth and ashes from the least of them to the greatest of them. And Jonah became angry at God. He said, I knew you were going to do this. That's why I left Tarshish. For I knew you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and great in kindness. So Jonah left the city and climbed up on a hill and sat down and waited to see what would would become of Nineveh. And the Lord provided a vine to grow over him and provide shelter from the sun. But God sent a worm to come and chew through the vine so it withered. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he wanted to die. And Jonah grew angry again. And God asks, What right have you to be angry about the vine? Jonah responded, I have every right to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord answered back, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? that great city of 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. So that's a quick overview, if you can remember, of the book of Jonah, um, of, of the great prophet. 
So once again, we're going to look at three different ways of looking at um, this book in the Old Testament. The first one is a blind reading where we just completely forget about Christ being associated with this at all. We look at it more of as a morality tale. And the first way to look at, at the blind reading is that Joan is all about the fish. It's a curious tale about a whale. Because when people hear the book of Jonah, the first thing they do and they, is they focus on the fish. They say, well, what kind of fish is this? Is it a, a blue whale? Is it a humpback whale? Is it a, is it a sperm whale? Is it Leviathan that we hear in the book of, of Job? Or maybe it's one of those deep sea creatures that we read about in, in the Discovery Channel. And then they go on and say, well, how can, how can a whale swallow a man? Is that possible? Can, can anyone be swallowed by a whale? And can anyone live inside the belly of a whale for three days and three nights? So those are some of the issues that immediately rise up when people read the book of Jonah. And they begin throwing stones at it. And we'll see that the, the whale is an important character in the book of Jonah, but it shouldn't be the focal point of what we look at when we uh, read Jonah. And to point here, there, there was an, uh, an incident back in 2017 where a, a lobster diver off the coast of Cape Cod actually was swallowed by a whale and then spit back out. So it's not unbelievable, but, but certainly if we believe in a a supreme God who can create the heavens and the earth and everything that we know and see about us, we certainly can believe that God can arrange for a man to be swallowed by a whale, live three days, and survive. So we want to look at this and not get focused on the whale, but look on on how does this fit into the book of Jonah and what is God using this whale for? And we'll see later on that the whale is, it's not, the whale is really a picture of death and resurrection. And we'll look at that in the future. Another blind reading of, of Jonah is to view it as a cautionary tale about a man. It's a cautionary tale because Jonah was someone who ignored God's call on, the, on, on their life and ministry. And so we look and we see that Jonah was called to a task by the Lord, but Jonah ran the other way from it, and it ran away from him. And it didn't really work out too well for him at all. He was thrown over by, overboard by a ship, he was swallowed by a whale, and then he was finally sent to a land that he was fleeing from. So the, the problem is when we look at Jonah and we see that it isn't just about him ignoring the call to go to the mission field. And, and what that also means is we shouldn't take it that if we ignore God's call, God is going to punish us in the same way. But to, to be frank, if any of us do disobey God, there, we will be somewhat miserable with our life. We really let, need to look at the context of, of why um, Jonah was put into, into this position. Um, what is the Bible trying to say about this? What does the New Testament say about Jonah? And so making a really tight correlation that you, 
we don't want to be like Jonah because he ran away from the Lord. Therefore, if we want to run away from the Lord, we're going to be miserable. We want to look at if God calls us into ministry, uh, he calls us for a specific purpose. And all of us are like Jonah in that God has called us into ministry. Uh, he hasn't called us to be a great prophet like the prophets of the Old Testament, but he has given us uh, a mission to do found in the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So all of us have a call that God has called us to do, but it isn't necessarily like the call of Jonah. So Again, we shouldn't get so wrapped up about the moral tale of being miserable because we're, we're not heeding God's call. If we move on to a fuzzy reading of, of the story. Now, a fuzzy reading is one that has some elements of Christ in there where we see Jonah connected with Christ, but they really don't come together very well. We can look at Jonah and ask, well, Jonah's a a powerful prophet. He goes to Nineveh, Nineveh, he preaches a message of repentance, and guess what? The people of Nineveh repent. And God uses Jonah to save the whole city of Nineveh from destruction. And then we move on and say, well, in the same way, Jesus is a powerful prophet. God sent him to earth to proclaim repentance and faith, and he accomplished that mission. And look how many even more people have repented and turned to the Lord through, through Jesus Christ. So while God does incredible things in Jonah's ministry, and that does point us to the power of Jesus' ministry, it's not the whole story. Because the real issue is, if you look at the prophet of Jonah, he's a terrible prophet. Okay, God calls him to the city of Nineveh, but Jonah hates the Ninevites so much that he runs away from them, he runs away from God. And when he finally gets to Nineveh, he only preaches judgment upon them. He basically says, in 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. And the Ninevites amazingly repent without knowing what God is going to do with them, or will he forgive them? And despite all this, Jonah is angry and he sulks away, climbs up a hill and sits on top of the hill and kind of waits for Nineveh to be destroyed. That's why he went on top of the hill. He wanted to watch his enemies be destroyed. And he gets angry at God when God doesn't do what he hopes. And he basically um, curses God and says, God, I know You're gracious and you're going to forgive people. And he didn't want those wicked people justified at all. And in the final scene in the fourth chapter, Jonah has more compassion on a plant than he does on 120,000 people that sit below him. So Jonah as a prophet is not a great prophet. He's a mess. You know, he doesn't really represent Christ very well at all. So again, we shouldn't be looking at Jonah in that way. Another view of looking at the book of Jonah is that 
the, we look at the, the people of Nineveh, that they were a repentant people. The word, of Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the people repented, and the Lord showed them mercy. And again, in the same way, if we look at this, uh, God offers us, uh, uh, if we repent um, and turn away from our sin, we're going to receive mercy and justice uh, from God. So, it is a, so Jonah is a, a story of God's mercy but the problem here is if you just focus on repentance and receiving mercy, you're missing an important thing. Because why was it possible for God to forgive the people of Nineveh when they really deserved his wrath? How can we get forgiveness when we only receive God's wrath? How can God justify people um, who deserve his wrath? Who pays the penalty? Well, the issue here, as, as we said earlier, it's only found in Jesus Christ and the cross. So if you just focus on repentance and then waiting and hoping that God's going to be merciful for, for, to you, you're missing the point that it's only through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross that's going to provide God's mercy to us. So again, our, our focus shouldn't be on Jonah as a powerful prophet or the Ninevites as a repentant people. Let's look at some clear versions of the story. 2020 readings. Going back to the whale. The whale uh, is an important figure in the, in the book, but its importance is that it's a picture of Jesus' tomb. And we see in the New Testament, um, the book of Jonah is brought up by none other than Jesus himself. When he says, well, well, basically the scenario is the scribes and Pharisees um, approached him and asked him some questions. And he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So again, um, what we're seeing here is that the, um, the scribes and Pharisees came to them. They had seen all the miraculous signs that he had done, healing people, um, multiplying loaves and fishes, and yet they come to him and say, Show us a sign that you're really the Messiah. Prove to us that you're really him. And he calls them out and calls them an evil and adulterous generation. And he says, you're not going to see anything except the sign of Jonah. So what is that? What is the sign of Jonah? Well, Jesus says the sign of Jonah is death and resurrection. And we see hints of that if we look back in the book of Jonah in his prayer inside the belly of the fish. And I'm going to read it through, but look and see all the the references um, that Jonah makes to, in essence, dying and, and, um, um, yeah, basically dying and then being resurrected again. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, 
Into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet again I shall look upon your holy temple. And as the waters closed over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever. And yet you brought up my life out of the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Again, many, many references to death and dying in this prayer. And then the hope of resurrection. And basically we see um, that sign uh, of Jonah when Jesus talks about it. That Jonah's journey into the belly of the whale and his emergence isn't just some curiosity that, that happened to a man. And it just wasn't how God used Jonah to get to Nineveh, that it was his Uber ride to, to Nineveh. It's really a picture and a foreshadowing that Jonas died when he went into the belly of the whale, so Jesus will die when he went into the tomb. And just as Jonah emerged from death to life three days later, so Jesus will emerge from death to life out of the belly of the tomb. And it points us to that greater resurrection and death that Jesus uh, went through. It points us to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. So that's one, one way of looking at the book of Jonah, is looking at what Christ said about the book of Jonah, that it was a picture of his death and resurrection. Another way of looking at the book of Jonah is that it's a prequel of Christ's supremacy. It's a, again, a foreshadowing of Christ, Christ, um, um, being great. And this continues on. It's the verse after what I just read about when Christ talked to the scribes and Pharisees. He says to them, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment and with this generation condemn it for, for the, They repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So throughout the scriptures, we see a movement um, of lesser than to greater than. Jesus died and rose again and proclaimed judgment to the Ninevites, and they repented. I mean, Jonah did. But something greater than Jonah is here, and his name is Jesus. He died He rose again and allows us to go, not to our normal lives, but to eternal life. So Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise made in the Old Testament. And just to review, if we look back, just go through a long list of, of the greater than to lesser than. Adam, Jesus is the, um, the second Adam, the last Adam. Abraham, of Abraham, Jesus is the true offspring. If you remember, uh, Abraham was promised to have many offspring after him. Jesus is better than Moses. 
Jesus is David's greater son. Jesus is the final prophet. He's the great high priest. He's the king of kings. He mediates the new covenant over the old covenant of the Old Testament. He's the final sacrifice for sin. He's our true temple. So so basically, those are just samples of the same theme that goes on with different people in the Old Testament, all pointing to Jesus Christ, who is greater than any of the things that happened in the Old Testament. Um, So there are similarities between Jonah and Jesus, and we've talked about those. Both experience death and resurrection. Jonah goes into the belly, the fish comes out. Jesus goes into the tomb and rises again. But there are some real differences when we look at um, at Jonah to Jesus. Again, showing that Jesus is greater than Jonah. While Jonah was in the belly of the whale and has all the imagery of death, Jonah didn't die. His mission from God was to preach, not to die. Now, Jesus had more than just a near-death experience uh, when he went to the when he went to the cross, he truly died and was dead when he was put in the tomb. But because he died and then rose again, he defeated death. And because of him, we have a gospel to preach. We have a message greater than Jonah to speak. Regarding sin, Jonah ended up in the belly of the whale because of his own sin. Jesus ended up in the tomb because of our sin. Jonah was an unwilling participant. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jesus went to the cross willingly to die for us. In regards to obedience, Jonah was basically disobedient. He was running away from God and and didn't want to participate in what God had called him to do. But Jesus willingly submitted to the Father and gave, of him, gave up of himself for our sake. On, on the issue of work, Jonah came from the belly of the fish, was spit out into dry land, and he had work to do in going to Nineveh and preaching the gospel. When Jesus emerged from the tomb, his work was finished. It was done. It was accomplished. When Jonah came out of the fish... He was in bad shape. He didn't look so good with seaweed all over his his head. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he rose triumphantly. He rose and was then ascended into heaven as the triumphant and glorious Savior that we know. And finally, Jonah was God's agent of redemption to the Ninevites. But if we look at him, his attitude was one of hate and being uncompassionate where Jesus, our agent of redemption, is compassionate and, and loving. So again, we see a different, uh, Jesus being greater than Jonah in the differences between uh, their roles. Um, and that's another way to look at this lesson. And then finally, the third reading we can look at is that um, salvation belongs to the Lord the proclamation of Jesus' work. 
And again, looking at the last uh, verse in Jonah's prayer, he says, with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the important thing to look here is to read in chapter 7 of the Revelation, Revelation. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and people, from the language, from, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white ropes and palm brushes in their hands, cried out, crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's Jonah crying out for salvation. And if you think about it, my brothers and sisters, one day we will be saying the same thing before the great white throne in heaven. We will be proclaiming, as Jonah did, salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and uh, our voices will re- uh, resound in that. So again, Jonah is a picture of, of going into God's glory and giving praise to him. That's basically the three uh, clear readings of the book of Jonah. Any questions there? Any questions about this book? Just a comment. I just uh, appreciate how you brought out that we, we see Jesus not only in similarities in Old Testament figures and events and institutions. We see Jesus in the contrast between (laughs) Old Testament figures and events and institutions. And when you were going through the contrast between Jonah and Jesus, uh, I mean, I was wanting to say just amen. It was so good to see how, you know, in in every way, Jesus was so much better than Jonah. And and Jonah does point us to him by way of the contrast, which really opens up to us so many ways we can see Jesus and should see Jesus in the Old Testament through figures that the New Testament tells us we see Jesus uh, through. And yet we look at them and we're like, but wait, Jesus was so much better. How can we see him through this guy? Um, It's actually the point that he's so much better. We, We see him through the through how different he is. So it was just, it was great. I love it. Yes, Chris. I know this isn't a major point, but one thing I, I just, I guess I never thought about before. When Jesus says the Ninevites will rise up in judgment, sometimes it sounds like, uh, you know, like with Abel, his voice cries from the grave. But I never really thought about it. But they are saved. It worked. They're safe, and they're going to be there at the judgment of all other believers. That was just mm-hmm. encouraging. Yeah, because of our union with Christ, we will one day with Him stand at the great throne of judgment on the good side, not on the bad side. Anything else? Well, thank you. Good. We'll. Um, Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the example of Jonah. We thank you for his message of repentance to the Ninevites. We thank you even more for the message of repentance through Christ and his death on the cross to save us from our sins. And we look forward to one day standing with Jonah 
praising your name and saying salvation belongs to the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.